I need thee every hour. That, like so many other songs in the Word of God, have such powerful messages behind them. I need thee every hour. Certainly brings us to some thoughts of the lesson tonight. In fact, as we reflect on and give some appreciation to an ancient widow. If you have your Bible available, I hope that you still do. A moment ago, it was uh, Brother Wendell read from the 17th chapter of 1 Kings. Please be revisiting that place, and we'll look at some of the interesting observations about an ancient widow, truths that were related to her, and certainly things of her life that can be so very powerful and so very meaningful even for you and me today. You might appreciate some of these opening remarks. Psalm 119, verse 105, helps us appreciate in many ways the following. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. The brilliant illuminates available from the Word of God, setting before us those features about life that are incorrect and they're not wise, and how we can avoid them. But by the same token, those truths in life, not only about that which you and I can see each day, but also what about the eternal character of what lies beyond. So many things, as you'll notice on the middle, remind us about faith. That really is a basic common theme and topic of all the Bible. Surely its definition is reminded of us even as we think about this ancient widow. So without further delay... Let us come to the bottom and revisit that scene of this widow. We won't read the fullness of it, but it does bring us to the following setting. The setting of 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. It does help us to see at the very beginning the children of Israel had already undergone a very difficult political situation. The kingdom had split. Ten of the tribes made a decision that they would no longer stay with this batter of the actual sons of uh, King Solomon. In fact, ten of the tribes decided they'd go off on their own. As they did so, they became known as the northern kingdom of Israel. That left the other two tribes to be bound together into the southern kingdom. The 17th chapter of 1 Kings relates to the northern kingdom. So as you think about those ten tribes, notice the seventh of their kings, a man named Ahab. We automatically already know so many things about him. He was known for his wickedness. He was known for his refusal to submit to God. Ahab and his wife Jezebel, in fact, wrought so much evil and so much wickedness amongst the very people of God. They encouraged idolatry, and quite frankly, they stubbornly refused to submit and bow to anything that was of the God of heaven. For those reasons, you might notice, not only did they encourage the worship of Baal and other idols, but notice, God did not leave His people without a messenger. There was a man named Elijah. Elijah labored in a rather dark time, quite frankly. 
So many people had overwhelmingly chosen to follow the things correspondent to idolatry. They submitted to the king in the words thereof. But there was a man named Elijah who labored in strength and in fortitude, who so often found himself on the negative end of what the king himself decreed. You might notice with me at this time, the opening statement of chapter 17 is one that will set the background and scene for much of what, the, what is the chapter that follows. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, so you might immediately notice, here was the prophet Elijah came before Ahab and addressed him directly. It says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah, you see, came before the king and rather immediately made this proclamation. Ahab, due to the wickedness, Due to the iniquity, due to the sin, which not only you've encouraged, but you supported so many ways. And to remind you that there is a God in heaven, there will be neither rain nor dew until I say so. Now Elijah, might we appreciate, was not being presumptuous. The God of heaven had given him that message and he came before, Eli before King Ahab and shared it immediately. Ponder just a moment the thoroughness of that statement. No moisture of any kind from the atmosphere, no dew or rain, until the word from God through Elijah was again given. It is with that in mind, you notice an added matter of understanding about the difficulty that Elijah faced. You and I might well notice that due to the iniquity and sinfulness of Ahab, he probably didn't hear the statement of Elijah very positively. From other records in the books of Kings, you and I know that Ahab probably, especially Jezebel, his wife, would have had no problem at all killing Elijah. Later on, Jezebel is in fact going to try to do that herself. She's going to pay individuals to try to bring that about. But you'll notice something rather quick about this. The God of heaven made provision. It says, verse number 3, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Kirith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. The hardship that Elijah was going to face from Ahab and from the other government officials, God said, Elijah, you go to the brook Kirith, and you stay there. The water of the brook will sustain you for, for, for a while. And not only that, I will send the ravens to bring you nourishment. Look at what follows. Verse number 6 says, And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Twice every day the birds of the air provided for Elijah. Of course, those birds were just doing the bidding of God. God of heaven had made arrangements. He'd made provision. And you and I notice that the hardship that Elijah may have faced, at least the nourishment and sustenance of the day was provided. It is with that in mind, you'll notice though, that that promise of verse 1 had not changed. The brook eventually dried up. It says in verse number 7, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. 
you and I know from other studies in the Word of God that this drought lasted a long time. Remember, Elijah had said, not until I say so will it rain again. Can you imagine the events as weeks turned into months and months turned into years without a single drop of rain? You and I know well what happens if one goes even a couple of months without rain. Suppose that lasted for a full year with not even so much as a dew. What would happen if it had reached two years without so much as even a drop, a mist of rain? What if three years had been reached? On this occasion, you and I know from another inspired Bible writer, James tells us in James, the fifth chapter of the New Testament, that this lasted 42 months, three and a half years without either dew or rain. You and I know what happens to ponds and brooks and streams and even smaller rivers over that much time with no rain. There's nothing left. And yet, three and a half years with no rain. You might notice as we come to the bottom of that slide, isn't it interesting that God's provision ultimately brought him to a different place. It says in verse 8, The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. After the brook dried up, and you and I remember, that was near Kirith, which was closely associated with the Jordan River. God said, You go to Zidon. Now you and I are familiar with that territory. It's over near the Mediterranean Sea. It says in Zarephath, which is one of the cities of Zidon, there is a widow woman. She lives there, and although she may not be able to call your name, Elijah, I have commanded her to sustain you. Let's read on. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. You may notice there was still water in this territory. That specific statement you see for Elijah earlier about that there was to be no rain, that was in the kingdom and territory of Ahab. Over here near the coast, you may appreciate that there was still water. It says, as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of, oil, of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after that, and after make for thee and for thy son." Now this drought, that of course was also coming to that territory, being closer to the ocean, there were still, it seems, a little water there. But they too were suffering the difficulty and hardship of this wave of drought that was coming. It is with that in mind we close that slide and note this. Elijah made a request of her, make me a little cake. Following, of course, there was also the request for water. Did you notice what her statement was? She said, I don't have a cake. In fact, all that I have is a little meal and a little oil. And as far as the meal, it's a handful. 
and here's what I'm planning to do. She was out gathering sticks at the moment, and her intent was she had a couple of sticks, and I'm going to make of that the final meal for myself and my son, and then we're going to die. She understood rather well about the matters and the difficulty that it brought upon her. It is as we close that particular slide, we come to ask about some applications. Put yourself in the position of the widow woman. For just a moment, consider her state, her lot, and what it was that she, of course, not only faced at that moment, but also did so readily. This next slide you'll notice before us. The first slide I simply entitled this. Maybe it's an obvious application, but nonetheless, how meaningful. Think about the hardness for just a moment. This widow woman, you notice that whatever it was that happened to her husband, we simply do not know. The text doesn't tell us. But what we do know on this occasion is that she had a boy. She had a son, and she was attempting to provide for that boy and for herself. And all that remained was a little oil and a small amount of meal. I wonder what had happened in the days leading up to that. Ponder, if you would, as she recognized herself, the supplies were dwindling. As one day turned into another and the weeks turned into months without rain, without, without any type of provision in that way, she recognized what was in the cupboard was getting smaller and smaller. Everything exhausted but this. That hardship might perhaps reminds us that the Bible is filled with references that, quite frankly, help to prepare you and me in a mental way and in a reality of faith for what that may well bring. Many times in the Bible, isn't it so that even those that were dedicated to God, even those that were true and faithful to Him, even those that had given themselves in devotion to the service of the Master above, they themselves found very, very trying hardships in this life. I suppose one of the things that does come to you and me as we strive to be faithful, it's true that God promises in His Word to meet the needs of life, but He doesn't say that there won't be challenges, and He doesn't say that there won't be in perhaps even trying circumstances. I chose several of these, and I would invite you to consider them with me. Replay in your mind, Joseph, just a moment. In Genesis chapter 37, we find a very interesting and very moving episode. One boy among so many others, a total of 13 children. We remember there was 12 boys and a girl. The brothers hated Joseph. So much so that in fact they sold him into slavery. And as you appreciate what must have crossed their mind, recognizing their hatred, their ill will, to the point that they were happy to see him and perhaps under the illusion they'd never see him again. And yet Joseph found himself in Egypt in prison, even under false accusations by Potiphar's wife. He found himself in the duress of that moment. And yet you and I notice here was a man who found himself at least what started to be difficult circumstances. Joseph is by no means the only one. What about Daniel? In the book of Daniel, we read about a man who himself had watched, oh, it seems very clearly, 
his own family being killed. He had watched those Babylonian armies assail his family, assail his house, and haul them off into captivity so far from home. But yet we notice this youth. Daniel, it would seem, based on the book of Daniel, couldn't have been more than, say, a late teenager. And as all of that befell him and as all of that happened, he later would find himself in a den of lions. All because he was faithful to God. Now is it true in those instances that here were individuals who lived at a time when those challenges came their way? Absolutely. What is we turn to the New Testament? In Acts the 16th chapter, we shouldn't think that these matters are only reserved for ancient times beneath the law of Moses. Paul and Silas, they had in fact the intent to preach those good words of the God of heaven. And as they came to the city of Philippi, we remember rather well what befell them. Paul, by the power that God had allowed him to enjoy, cast out that spirit of divination from a little girl, a damsel, if you please. But in so doing, ultimately Paul and Silas were cast into prison. There they were. They again had not committed crimes. They had just been true to God. And yet they were shackled in prison. Does that sound pleasant? Does it sound like that would have been a happy experience? And yet in the midst of all of it, at midnight, they were singing praises to God and praying. What an overwhelming scene of the fact that even those that are Christians may be called upon to face those matters that are hard. All of that brings us perhaps to a few verses reminding us that as faithful children of God, those issues do come our way. We've often noted that scene in Revelation 2 where the church in Smyrna was told, you're going to suffer ten days. The devil will in many ways have the upper hand for ten days in the sense that he's going to throw you into prison. Jesus told John to tell that church that message, you are going to be cast into prison. Many of you will be, but be faithful till death. You need something to think about. What if we've received a message here at Pippin? You know, among all the congregations, none of them are going to find themselves in happy experiences, but Pippin, you're going to find a particular duress. You be faithful till death. You and I would hear that, and we'd be so thankful for the message, but I'm sure we wouldn't be excited about what perhaps the other things are going to be. This widow woman, this widow of Zarephath, she was suffering mightily, and it wasn't just a pretense. They literally had reached the point that there was almost nothing left. Consider the amount of thought that crossed her mind. We don't know how old the little boy was, but she was fixing what appeared to be the last meal. That hardship brings us to lesson two, because what else might we learn about this? That hardship might well be for us as you think about the matters of it. I've simply entitled this one as follows. The provision that God made available to them. Could you consider this with me? Now, the whole idea of provision from God was a central part of this chapter in many ways. 
You noticed it with me a moment ago, how that God provided for Elijah even while he was over by that brook. The ravens of the air brought him nourishment twice every day. We don't know for the length of time that in fact Elijah found himself by that brook. It appears to have been quite some time. And the faithfulness of the birds of the air were a testimony to God's provision as they so directly visited twice every day. As you think about the matter of those birds, notice about this widow. When Elijah came, the statement that he made to her read as follows, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. The provision of God went like this. Elijah shared with that widow woman the following news. That little amount of meal that you have and the oil that you currently have, you rest assured that as long as you have do that which I have commanded, God speaking to Elijah, that meal won't run completely out and neither will the oil until the time the rain comes. Talk about living day by day by faith. To have to trust in the ongoing provision of God. There wasn't a cabinet full of oil or meal there. But you can rest assured that by the provision and promise of God, what's there will never completely run out. It'll be replenished, if you will, in a miraculous way. It'll be replenished in a manner and in a means whereby you'll always have enough. That kind of description helps you and me to think of this. We live in this physical world. We understand that. We know, though, that we're spirit beings, and yet the needs of the body are important. The food that we need, the appreciation of the other attributes to cover the body and to the shelter that's necessary. May I call to your attention the fact that just as God has promised that He did promise to provide for her, so too He has promised to provide for you and me. Would you read with me, beginning in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew the 6th chapter? It is to that chapter I would direct your attention and listen as the Son of God Himself had these words to say. Matthew chapter 6, I'll begin reading in verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. 
For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The context of that presentation, it was very early on in the preaching ministry of Jesus. And yet, one of the initial messages, one of the immediate truths that He wished to share with them, they were so encumbered with thoughts about raiment and food and the necessities for the body, and the Lord did not discount the importance of those things. Rather, He turned it around and said this, God knows that you have need of those things, and if you will seek Him first, He will provide all of that. He provides for birds, and He provides for flowers. And aren't you more valuable than birds and flowers? Aren't you more significant to Him? Because you're an immortal spirit. You're made in His image, and the flowers are not, and the birds are not. If God clothes the, glass, the grass of the field, won't He much more clothe you? You and I as Christians can appreciate then that God knows that we have need, but He's promised to provide just like He promised for the widow. It might be in light of that you'll notice that God's promises are so very trustworthy, aren't they? Could you not recall with me in Genesis chapter 9? The scene before us on that occasion is this. God made a direct promise to Noah that he and his descendants would be in this position never ever again will I bring a flood of waters. And in fact, here's a token, a sign, if you will, of that covenant. I'll put a bow in the clouds. And every time you see it, you should be able to reflect on the thoroughness and the reality of that promise. And so it is that though these centuries have now passed, we still are able to see the bow in the clouds and see again the trustworthiness of God's promise. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us for not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is faithful, isn't He? Several times in the Bible, that word is used to describe Him. He's faithful to His Word. He was faithful to that widow. Her supplies didn't run out. And He's been faithful to you and me too. Never has a flood of waters come like came in Noah's day. Maybe as we close that slide, isn't it true that we can appreciate throughout the Word of God a tremendous set of promises, perhaps like this one in Romans 8 verse 28. As Paul wrote to that church in Rome, highlighting before them the reality of faithfulness and what that involves in terms of living for the Lord, he said, of course, that those that know the Lord can recognize that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His promises. God's provision was our second lesson. As we turn the page, if you please, and come to the next one, let's give thought to a third observation, a third lesson that we can also consider. I've entitled it a test. Many times as you and I reflect on our days of schooling, we remember those examinations and we remember those tests and maybe they aren't always fond memories. Sometimes when a test was given and we weren't prepared, it didn't go very well. But think about the test that's mentioned here. Could I recall with you or ask you to revisit verse number 12 and verse 13? 
when Elijah first saw this woman, gathering of the sticks, the first request that he made of her was this. As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, she said, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after for thou and thy son. Did you notice the little Hebrew word that's first? Here was a lady, a woman, and she was down to what she considered her last meal for herself and the son whom she loved so much. And then here was a man unknown to her, and she didn't understand it would seem who he was. And yet you notice that he said, Make me a cake first. This lady, you see, had an immediate decision to make. I have only enough for me and my son. Why are you asking me this? You're asking me to make you a cake first when I've just told you this is all I have? Yes. Make me the cake first. Think about the moment of decision she had. Do I do what this gentleman has asked me to do? and use a small portion of this little amount that I have left for him? Well, you notice verse number 13 and following has this observation. May I call your attention to verse 15? It says, And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. We are told what decision she made. She did make Elijah a cake first. It may have been small, but she followed the instructions and the directions thereof. Her faith led her to that point. May I ask, what would you and I have done? Put yourself in her position a moment. Do you and I choose to do that which is of God and serve Him first? Or do we elevate our desires, our preferences, our wishes above that which is the bidding of God? It is something to consider, isn't it? Let's develop that perhaps with the, the words on this slide. You'll notice that this was a test of her faith. This was a genuine and very practical test of her faith. May I ask any of us could well be in such a position in principle that is the same. God says, you put me first. That's above your job. And so when the decision comes, am I going to serve the God of heaven first or will I do this which my boss demands, this which my neighbor requests? You and I are then in a very similar position in principle. Do you and I serve the Lord first like the widow did? As we, as we develop that, look at the various times in the Bible when similar situations present the testing of God. God's testing of those who are members of the element of faith. The test known in the days of Abraham is perhaps the most familiar of all of these to us. For well over two decades, God had had a promise. Abraham, you and your wife are going to have a boy. You're going to have a son. He'll be the son of promise. And yet year after year passed and now Sarah's too old to have a boy. She was too old, at least Abraham thought. And yet one more time, the message is brought. And you and I remember that she even laughed. Sarah didn't see that this could be. 
And isn't it amazing that in all of that, we finally appreciate Genesis 21 when Isaac was born. God fulfilled that word, and even in advanced age, Abraham and Sarah brought forth a son. But in the very next chapter, God brings a message to Abraham that read like this, Go and take Isaac, not Ishmael now, Isaac, the son of promise, and you go offer him as a sacrifice to me. You can perhaps with me imagine that Abraham must have been beside himself. Isn't that what the text says? Of course, that's not what it says. You and I would perhaps easily imagine Abraham asking, God, how can this be? You promised a son, and yet you finally bring him into the world, and now you want me to kill him, to take his life? I thought he was the one through whom the human family would be blessed. God's Word still read as He had given it. Take Him and offer Him. As far as the biblical text tells us, there was not a single question that Abraham asked. He didn't question God. His faith, in fact, as the Hebrew writer will later tell us, was so strong and so powerful and so direct, he was even of the position that God could raise Isaac from the dead if that's what it required. Now that's faith. That is a, an appreciation whereby Abraham passed with flying colors the test of his faith. What about you and me today? Would I pass with flying colors? Would you make me a little cake first? We noticed a moment ago, though, that that word first also occurs, doesn't it? In Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. May you and I continue to pass with flying colors as we do serve the Lord first. Serving God first brings us to close that slide. Noting that this widow, we must be impressed with the degree of her faith. That helps us to appreciate that in Romans ten seventeen, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There are many things about this woman I would ask you to notice the closing verse to the chapter, verse 24. Notice what she says. Another attribute of the strength of this lady. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. That's a mouthful, isn't it? She, even as strong as her faith previously was after the immediate events that took place, she was even more convinced that Elijah was a man of God and that what he spoke was truth. You and I today have the greatest truth filled in book form for us. May we be given to it always. Letting our faith grow and develop as it's based on that Word of God. This third lesson about the testing of our faith brings us to a fourth one. And this fourth lesson is one that I've entitled God's Control. Aren't you impressed by the number of things that God controlled in this chapter? I would quickly make mention of these with you. You'll notice that the weather was completely under God's control. God, through Elijah, said, It'll not rain until I give the word again. Now, you and I know that that's one of the features of this planet that's so remarkable. Isn't it true that 
you and I often find ourselves perhaps in need of watering something. Maybe we have a garden spot or maybe there's a patch of our lawn that needs to be given moisture. And yet, isn't it so that we know how difficult that is? If you have to water something day after day for weeks on end, think how much work's involved to extract the garden hose, to make sure you water it for enough amount of time. And yet God has a watering system in place for this entire planet, and it's under His control. Rain. In fact, even the dew was under God's control on this occasion. It wasn't even going to dew. And you and I know from meteorology the number of things involved in the, in the process we call dew. You may notice not only that, in the midst of this chapter, even life and death were under His control in that the widow's son at one point passed away, and yet Elijah, with the power of God, was able to bring that boy back to life. Notice the weather under God's control, the attribute of life and death under His control. Not only that, what if you and I give thought to the lessons in that for us? The things in this world... We understand science can help us understand them, but the process by which they're upheld and the reality of what is the ongoing nature of them, our God is in control of it. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3 says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. The attributes and features of the atmosphere and the ocean and the intricacies and complexities of all of it are under the, the close and careful control of the God of heaven. The fourth lesson is this one. Not only is God's control to be seen on the things of that slide, but one final one. As we look at the fifth lesson before us this evening, I apologize for the trouble that I'm having with this particular remote. That control of God seen for us. If I can go back one more slide. Could you go to the conclusion page, please? Thank you. On that conclusion page, the control that we've seen stated in that previous slide cause us to think about matters far beyond the physical things of this life. That fifth lesson I've simply tried to put in terms of this widow of Zarephath in that final page. Her faith was tested, but she passed it. And in the course of the study, we've seen God's control, not only over the birds, over the activities of the widow, over the rain. We, of course, saw that all of that helps us appreciate that lady's faith. Our faith is not a matter to consider too lightly. We need to be people of faith, those who live by faith and not by sight. It's so tempting, isn't it, to live a life based on the things that we see, the matters that come before us and the issues day by day. We each can be so busy so given to the activities of this life, but never let us come to the point we don't lift our eyes above this to the horizon that's beyond. For there is a far greater existence to this one. 
this lady teaches us so many things about the reality of faith. Tonight, I hope each of us have been encouraged by her and by the feature of the record of 1 Kings 17. Tonight, as we come to a point of invitation, though, maybe your faith is currently being tested. Maybe it has been tested. Realize it's probably going to be tested again. May all of us be ready to appreciate that there is a God far wiser and far stronger than we, and a God in whose hands we honestly are. May we live to His glory. May we live to His, may we live to His honor. And may we recognize that He will take care of the things we need in this life. May we live faithfully till death. If there's someone in the audience tonight that would wish to make a public response to the gospel's call of invitation, realize that the God of heaven loves you and wants you to be a faithful servant of His. Maybe you need to be rededicated to come back to your first love. If we could be of assistance in that way to pray to God on your behalf, we'd be honored to do it. On the other hand, if there's someone that would wish to become a Christian, there will never be a finer night than this one. This hymn of encouragement is now about to be sung. It's been selected and chosen, and it is an opportune time. Why don't you come while together we stand and sing?